And Bernie saw that as just an absolute injustice and wanted to find a way for folks to be brought into the mainstream, brought into the economy, and to be able to begin a trajectory where they can build a career for themselves. And we believe through more inclusive hiring employment practices like open hiring or some variation thereof, we can make a dent in that. And by 2030, that can unleash about $3 billion. But basically, you submit that one pager, and when the next job becomes available, you get it. No questions asked. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Padia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Joe Kenner, President and CEO of Grayston Bakery. Inclusive hiring one person at a time. Welcome, Joe. Thank you so much for having me, Vidya. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce says that three out of four employees have stolen from their employers at least once. As a result, each year, companies lose millions of dollars. What are the pilferage rates of employees if you compare them to shoplifting? Do you have any statistics or background uh, information about it? No, I don't have the exact statistics on that video, but what I can tell you, our model is built around trust. It is built around providing opportunities to folks with barriers. I could add to that question, you know, what about sex offenders being in the work environment or other challenges that people face when they have a fear and a concern about open hiring where you don't ask questions, you don't do background checks, <laughs> you don't, we don't even do interviews. Mm-hmm. But our model is built around trust and trust built on Is somebody ready to be successful? Have they resolved to want to work and to provide for their family and to provide for themselves? And if the answer is yes to that, we say yes to them and they become an apprentice at Grayston Bakery. Trying to understand your organization structure, Grayston Bakery, is it a nonprofit? Actually, Grayson Bakery was founded as a for-profit, and it was founded, interesting enough, on a belief. We were founded in 1982, just so your listeners know. So we're almost 40 years in existence now, practicing open hiring. But Grayston was founded by Bernie Glassman, who was an interesting fellow, Zen Buddhist monk turned social entrepreneur, and really the father of this movement, open hiring and inclusive in hiring at Grayston in Southwest Yonkers. But it was founded on this belief that uh, it is just absolutely wrong that folks that want to work um, are able to work and have the ability to be successful cannot be because of one or more barriers to employment, whether it's criminal justice involvement, whether it's homelessness, substance abuse, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And Bernie saw that as just a absolute injustice and wanted to find a way for folks to be brought into the mainstream, brought into the economy, and to be able to begin a trajectory where they can build a career for themselves. So that was actually the basis for open hiring. But it was founded as a for-profit business. And you said he wanted to hire people who wanted to work, but were unable to work. How did he know that they wanted to work? 
At the time, Bernie was living in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, he and the Zen Buddhist community, and they were supporting themselves uh, baking cakes, actually. And Bernie noticed in this area, which is very close to Yonkers, that there was just a lot of homeless folks. And Bernie spent a lot of time, you know, he would retreat into the community and get to know folks and get to know their stories. And Mm -hmm. he would learn that, you know, folks were formerly incarcerated, couldn't find a job, or they were homeless and just, you know, had nowhere to go. And for those reasons, they were being denied. And we, those reasons still, we hear them to this day. In 2021, we still hear those reasons for folks being denied employment. So that's how he found out about it. So what do you say to the people, you know, you right now with the um, incentives or the support that people have received during the pandemic, there is this whole rhetoric that people don't want to come back to work because they've been given handouts. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you can, your, your viewers can't see me shaking my head, but I... There, here's some numbers that really I find startling. When you look at the current economy that we're in, there are 9.2, 9.3 million jobs that are unfilled, correct? Then you have about 9.5, just under 10 million people that are looking for work but are unemployed. The other startling statistic to that video is that there are about 10 million plus or minus folks with barriers who want to work but aren't. And they're that group that I was talking about in the beginning, the justice involved, the homeless, mental illness, substance abuse, opportunity youth, 20% of that 10 million are up, 30% actually are opportunity youth. 10 million of those folks want to work, cannot work. They are not included in the unemployment rate. That to me is the biggest travesty. And you you do the simple math there, 9.2, 9.3 million unfulfilled jobs, Mm -hmm. 9.5 people looking for work, 10 million people out of the workforce have left the workforce because they are dealing with their barriers. That is a serious, I call it outage, not employee shortage. There's an outage in terms of how we're looking for, for employees and how we're hiring. I mean, if you've got folks that want to work but can't, I'm not saying that that entire 10 million is going to fill the 9.2, 9.3, but I think we can make a dent in that. And we believe through more inclusive hiring employment practices like open hiring or some variation thereof, we can make a dent in that. And by 2030, that can unleash about $3 billion of economic impact when you think about the income that gets generated, people that get uh, freed from being on public assistance and able to provide for themselves, and also the savings from justice involvement, putting people in jail and incarceration. There's a lot of money on the table here. This is what I don't understand. Either you help people overcome these barriers by spending some money, you know, setting aside some budget in, in your budget to help them overcome these barriers, or you have to pay to house them in, in prisons, mental institutions, food pantries, whatever other ways. So either way, you're paying. But the first part, if you support them, help them come out of these barriers, you are making a happier country, a happier, more a fulfilled country, right? And I would even push back video on the idea that they need to set aside money to do this. And I'll talk about some of the companies that we're working with, like The Body Shop, like Giant Eagle, who are replicating open hiring in their organizations. When you think about it, it's really a reallocation of costs. 
So think about the time that's interviewing. Think about the time that's spent and money spent doing background checks and all of that. SHRM, you know, Society of Human Resource Management, uh, estimated like $4,100 per employee. Hmm. It costs a, a company to go through this hiring process. Wow. What we found with the people that have piloted our, our model, it's about just under $130 in terms of cost to hire somebody because you've gotten rid of all of the barriers, all the processes. You're investing in bringing people in mm-hmm. as opposed to investing in excluding them from your organization. So it's a reallocation of costs. And P.S., you know, the time to hire, which is on average about 30 days, is cut to five to seven because it's just a matter of going to your list, calling the next person on the list and saying you got the job, and now you spend the resources of the time and bringing them on and keeping them in. So how would you define open hiring? It's very simple. No questions asked. So the way we do it at Grayston Bakery, and I always try to caveat this, you know, not everybody needs to do it the same way at Grayston. We could talk about that. But the way we do it at Grayston is you simply fill out a one-pager, put your name, contact information, brief description of what's required on the job. You know, you're standing, you're lifting 50-pound bags of sugar and flour, things like that. Mm-hmm. But basically, you submit that one pager, and when the next job becomes available, you get it. No questions asked. The average wait time is about six months, but you're guaranteed <laughs> to get a job if your name is on that list sometime in the future. So that's the process. It's very simple, yet radical. I know from my traditional human resources folks, it's a, it's a It's something very new and something that's uh, quite profound, but it works and it has been working for the last 40 years. And I will say this as well, when you look at folks who've been doing the model like the body shop, you know, they saw a two thirds cut in their turnover rate and a 13% increase in productivity when they implemented uh, an open hiring pilot in their Raleigh, North Carolina distribution center back in 2019. So you said you don't have resumes, you don't have background checks. You don't have interviews. Yeah. And that's strictly for our bakery apprentices, the rest of the organization. We have about 110 people at the bakery, 70 of whom are what we would consider the open hires. The rest of the organization has the so-called traditional process. But again, it's always through the lens of inclusive employment as well. So if I wanted to get a bakery job, I would just go in and say, this is my name. This is my email. This is my contact number. Call me when you have an opening. Yes, absolutely. That's all it takes. And that's, and you make a very good point. Anybody can do it. I mean, we don't target any one group over the other. Normally, Grayson is known as a place that hires the formerly incarcerated, though that is partially true. It's not complete. It's anybody who puts their name on the list. So yes, you could put your name on the list and Mm -hmm. a few months time, you will get a call saying, are you still available? And I don't have any training in commercial breaking. I, mean, I cook in the house, that's it. How will you train me? And what about that cost, right? And that's the cost that we want to invest in. We want, and this is a job, and that was part of Bernie's uh, whole idea. He wanted to bring folks into an organization and into a process that they could learn on the job. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to have a degree. You didn't have to have this great resume. You just had to be willing to learn and take instruction and work with others. And so that first day you, when you get that call and you report for orientation, that is your first day on the job. That's your first day earning a salary, benefits, union. And that begins the process of the apprenticeship. It's usually about six to nine months, but 
that's when you begin to learn. You get introduced to you know the goods manufacturing practices. You get introduced to HR. You get introduced to we have a, what we used to call an employment path maker, which is basically a social worker that supports you in all those non-traditional HR concerns like housing, transportation, childcare. Um, all of that you get exposed to during your orientation period. So we want to invest in making you successful both personally as well as professionally, as opposed to, again, using those costs to exclude people from the process. So has it reduced your labor turnover? Yes, we are actually around 23% in terms of turnover, and that's gone down significantly over the years, last few years. And what is the industry average? The industry average, is, I would, the last time we checked, it was in the mid-30s, I would say, for you know, non-durable goods. It was rather high, but I always say folks like to focus, and look, I come from corporate America, and folks like to focus on turnover rate. I do like to say that's one measurement, but the real measurement is what if Grayston wasn't here? Mm -hmm. And what would happen to those folks who were looking for work but couldn't find it, which is why we want more companies to do what we're doing. Because, again, I can only hire 70 people at any given time. But to the point I made earlier, there are 10 million folks with barriers who are looking for work. I totally agree. And how much has Grayston saved in your 38 years now? Uh, 39. It'll be 40 next year. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a matter of savings. I mean, we've actually grown. When I first started here, I think we were probably in the 30,000 pound a day of production of brownies. We're now over 50,000 pounds of brownies. Mm -hmm. And that to me, again, is a testament to the people. It's a testament to the team. And it's a testament to the fact that this model does work because people, to you, you were raising some of the you know, questions that, and fears that people have about stealing or showing up or whatever. In manufacturing, you're going to have that. But there is a loyalty factor here that you've given an opportunity to folks that are ready, ready willing, and able to work. And they will do a good job for you given the opportunity. That's how we've been able to grow. And P.S., we're growing with folks like Ben & Jerry's Unilever. We're providing the brownie inclusions for their ice creams. We're growing with folks like Whole Foods. We're, these are marquee companies that have high standards of quality for their products. And our folks are producing that each and every day. So to me, it's savings is, you know, a small piece of that. But it's really the fact that, you know, we've grown over the years with people that were once considered excludable and now are deemed actually we worked through all of last year essential <laughs> and to the savings i would if there was a way to measure mm -hmm. how much you saved the society the community oh right if there i don't know if you ever done that calculation but yes we have and i can tell you within the last year we've delivered over $12 million of economic impact when you look at the people that we've hired at the bakery. We also have a foundation. We didn't talk about that, but we provide job skills training and education to the folks here in the community, and we place them into jobs. When you combine those two together, and again, looking at the income that's generated, the fringe benefits that's paid, you know, the production bonuses, all of that. When you look at the savings from public assistance, when you look at the savings from diversion from the, the justice system, $12 million of impact, 11 to $12 million of impact that this little bakery is providing in Southwest Yonkers. Phenomenal. We want to talk about savings? That's a savings. <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. But that's phenomenal. And so what is... Is it okay to say what your turnover, like sales are? I, what I will say is, you know, the sales have grown tremendously over these last few years, particularly last year. And I have to give 
kudos to the team that ran from the moment this pandemic started back in March 2020 to the end of last year, which was a record year in terms of production. We were essentially working seven days a week, but folks came in every day, working through July 4th, working through Memorial Day. Grayson hires people who haven't even had sometimes a first chance. Right. That, that is a, a great point that you're making because and I do correct people when they say that, you know, it's not second chance hiring because many of our folks never, and I could tell you stories about folks, they never got the first chance. Mm-hmm. So it's not second chance hiring, it's opportunity. We provide an opportunity and not a promise. Um, you do have to perform, but uh, it's up to you. And uh, it's up to all of us working together towards your success, but it's an opportunity, not a second chance. So when people have gone through rough times, they are insecure. How do you create an environment of trust, a culture of trust at Greyston? Yeah, that's the whole idea of having uh, the social worker at the bakery is so that folks can deal with someone who's not the HR manager, um, although they work closely together, but someone who is trained in this area of dealing. And we've look, housing is probably the number one issue that everybody deals with. It. People in my position deal with housing challenges because of the high cost of living in this area, but particularly in the, at the entry level, folks are dealing with housing issues. They're dealing with childcare issues. They're dealing with child support issues. We have invested, again, going back to the reallocation of costs, we've invested in having someone be at the bakery to support all of our employees, not just the open hires, on those very issues, because those are the issues that keep people from being productive. Those are the issues that impact attendance. Those are the issues that impact people's well-being. You're not going to come to work if, you know, your kid is in crisis or if you're sleeping in your car or whatever. You're dealing with substance issues. But we provide the resources and the connections through our social worker to alleviate some of those concerns. Mm -hmm. Because if you're successful personally, you're going to be successful professionally. And we want to make sure that those two are are taken care of. That's pretty cool. Could you... Sort of give me an example of how a social worker would be able to intervene, say domestic abuse. We've had domestic abuse. We've had substance issues. We've had anger management issues. And it's all about sitting down with someone and getting them connected to the nonprofits in your area. And we have uh, providers here in Westchester County that deal with those very issues. Hope's Door um, is one uh, that deals with, uh, helps women with domestic violence issues. We have a host of other providers in the mental health field. You know, we work very closely with an organization called Westchester Jewish Community Services that provides mental health and uh, substance abuse uh, counseling to our, to the the county, but particularly to our, our folks here at Grayston. All of those different nonprofits that are skilled and have the expertise in all these areas that people are going through, that's the role of the social worker to make those connections. And when you see people, and I've seen it, folks who actually had to take time off because they were dealing with uh, substance issues and came back and actually brought their child with them to work at Grayston. But when you see the success from that happening from a, one of your colleagues, that's how you build the trust. And we want that. I can't help you if I don't know what you're going through, whether it's you're showing up late or whether you have anger issues. I can't help you if you don't want to be helped. And it's our job as an organization. It's the job of the social worker to kind of make those connections for the employee in a very confidential manner so that, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't become a public knowledge, but it's something that you can deal with on your own with the support of this resource that we have at the bakery. 
if you had to share a story of a success story, would you be able to share one? There's so many success stories. You know, I will highlight this. You know, a couple of months ago, we premiered a documentary that was uh, produced by an amazing group of students from Westchester Community College. It's called Wide Open Dreams. I'll, you can I can include it in the uh, podcast notes if you'd like. Uh, it's a two minute trailer, and it tells a story. Uh, it's about a twenty minute video, but I'll send you the two minute trailer. It tells the story of three individuals um, that work at Grayston, with a focus on one in particular. And the three are actually a single mom, formerly incarcerated, and someone who has Spanish as the first language and English as the second. But again, all the different types of barriers that we deal with. But I'll focus on Shauna who was a single mom, she is a single mom. She came to Grayston after being turned down for I don't know how many jobs. Um, she is a single mom of five. She had applied to so many different jobs, and she'll tell you she wasn't male enough, she didn't have the experience, she didn't have the education, mm-hmm. to the point where she was turned down so many times that she was considering giving up her children. It was probably the moment where she was about to make that decision that she finally got the call from Grayston and very proud to say it's probably three or four years later now but um, she went from being an apprentice to a lead operator and I'm very happy to say she's with all of her kids. <laughs> what a lovely story. You can't put a price tag on that and that's it's an amazing thing and Alvin who's you know, one of our uh, who's, he was a baker apprentice uh, and works at the bakery now uh, 20 years I believe he was incarcerated uh, he's now successful and thriving uh, probably in his 60s but doesn't look a day over, you know, 50. I mean, he just looks great. He's thriving as well. Maria, who's thriving, it's like Spanish was her first language, but she's doing very well at the bakery as well. So it's, it's those types of folks. That's just three. Um, we've hired hundreds over the years. And again, I want to see more employers doing what we do so we can write more stories of the Marias and the Shaunas and the Alvins. We have our work cut out for us as a society. What about... A story which didn't turn out the way you wanted and you wish you could have done more. There are stories like that and I don't want it to seem like this is easy work. Uh, I think that's one thing that people should take away from this. It's a business and you're dealing with people with challenges and you would have those challenges whether you're doing open hiring or not, right? But, you know, it, it is a business and folks have serious issues. For me personally, and I've seen folks in both at the foundation as well as at the bakery where we've had to let folks go because they couldn't either deal with their anger issues or they weren't showing up or, you know, performance just wasn't up to par. Again, this is an opportunity, not a promise, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't judge you on either end of that. So I won't judge you when you come through the door. And if we have to unfortunately part ways involuntarily, then we won't judge you out the door. But we do have our standards as an organization and that applies both at the foundation and as well as at the bakery and it's tough to let folks go because you know their stories and you know what they're going through but it goes back to when you've resolved to want to be successful when you resolve to want to do a good job we're here but um, if that is not the case then unfortunately Mm -hmm. you just won't be a part of this family but hopefully there's something down the line that will work for you Are these folks able to get a second chance 
with you? They can put their name on the list. Depending on the situation, you can put your name on the list uh, and, you know, we, we can try again. But uh, my focus really is just, you know, wanting, wanting to make sure that the folks who do put their name on the list, who do get the opportunity and who do want to stay and, and make the investment, co-create, if you will, with us, great products. Uh, that's where we want to focus. How have these practices changed or your hiring practices changed during the pandemic? We stopped hiring during the pandemic for obvious reasons because we were still trying to figure out what this virus was. Totally changed, you know, as most organizations did, you know, having uh, disinfectant dispensers all over the place. Uh, we stopped uh, all anybody that was a non-bakery employee from entering the building. We would actually receive packages from outside. Mm-hmm. Um, even at the foundation, we did shut down part of the foundation except for the essential programs and had people working from home just to uh, protect themselves. But cutting off conference rooms and building up our PPE uh, supplies. So all of those things were very important for us. And just making sure that people felt safe and uh, making the investments and all the things that we needed to do to mitigate the virus. I mean, that's what really changed it. But it highlighted for us why inclusive employment is so necessary because Mm -hmm. folks were concerned about safety. They were concerned about trust. Right. Uh, that was a big thing, not just with, through the pandemic, but through the social unrest. Folks were concerned about all of those things. And I don't think the pandemic caused it. I think the pandemic just exposed all of those things. And what inclusive hiring, inclusive employment does is gets you to think holistically about your organization, training, safety, belonging. And, you know, how do I take care of all of my stakeholders, including my employees? So you didn't do any hiring at all during the pandemic? No, we didn't start hiring again. It was probably later in the year, around August. At the height, yeah, we had stopped it all because of, for obvious reasons. But it probably was later in August that I think we started hiring again, once we had all of the, you know, the proper protocols and mitigation measures in place. So you are located in West Yonkers, New York? Southwest Yonkers, correct. It was located there because of your founder or you saw a need there? Yeah, Bernie um, saw the need in Southwest Yonkers and the need still exists. I mean, today we have an unemployment rate. The latest statistics I saw was around 7.7%, whereas I think the national is just over 5%. It's, you know, it's still economically challenged and we were economically challenged before the pandemic, mm-hmm. but the need is still there. What's great is we have great partners with the local government, the mayor, the city council, our county executive, our elected officials, and, you know, our nonprofit partners that we work with. But the need is still there, which is, again, why it's so critically important. I mean, Westchester is considered, you know, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, but there are still pockets within the county that need some attention, particularly we see inclusive employment as one solution to alleviating poverty and bringing people into the mainstream. And you have one more location, right? We have two locations of Greyston. So the Greyston Bakery is located at 104 Alexander Street um, in Yonkers. And then we have our foundation, the nonprofit, where we do the what we call the Greyston Employment Opportunity Center, where all of our training happens. It's just up the street at 2123 Park Avenue. Grayson was started in 1982, and they started partnering with Ben & Jerry in 1987. Yes, 87, 89, I believe. That's a pretty big break for this little bakery in um, Yonkers, New York. (laughs) They supplied the best fudge brownies in the Ben & Jerry's ice cream. How did they even connect? 
Not many people know the story, but the story is incredible. And when I was first told the story, I just fell out of my seat. But Bernie Glassman had attended a social ventures network conference. I believe it was in Colorado where he met Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfeld and uh, literally went for a walk in the woods together mm-hmm. to talk about how they they could work together. And at that time, I think we were doing cakes and cookies and things like that. And I think we were making brownies as well. But they talked about perhaps, you know, we could provide a cookie for like an ice cream sandwich. I forgot what they used to call it, but it was an ice cream sandwich and we would provide the cookie for the sandwich. It was a chocolate cookie that we would make. We had not done this before, had no capability. So Bernie invested everything under the sun into this and we produced it for them. Mm -hmm. And when the product was shipped to Vermont, it didn't survive the shipping process and was kind of just like this big slab of chocolate stuff (laughs) and someone at uh, Ben and Jerry's said you know well would happen if we just put it in the chocolate ice cream and from there you got chocolate fudge brownie (laughs) that historic walk in the woods gave us the chocolate fudge brownies that we all love and one of few flavors. So now we have chocolate fudge brownie. We have half baked, Netflix and chilled. We had the Justice Remix for a season, um, brownie batter core. Looking forward to more innovations with uh, Ben and Jerry's as well. Let's talk about the Grayston Foundation. You mentioned the foundation a couple of times. Yes. Is that the nonprofit arm of Grayston? Yeah, so the, just so people understand the organization, the Grayston Bakery is the for-profit entity. Um, it's actually New York State's first benefit corporation, and we're B Corp certified as well. The bakery is owned by Grayston Foundation, which is the nonprofit. Just to give some historical context, there was a time when uh, Grayston did a lot of other things outside of the bakery. We were in low-income housing. We had a huge housing portfolio, housing for chronically homeless with HIV/AIDS, community gardens. We had a child care center. And the whole concept of that was, you know, Bernie's idea was he wanted to have a holistic approach Mm -hmm. to creating a thriving community. So people needed housing, they needed child care. So that's why we got into those areas. We learned over the years, and particularly in the past year, since I've been president CEO, we realized that our core, our strength is really in the area of inclusive employment. And that's where we really wanted to focus this past February with the executive team and and my board. We we came up with a new mission statement, new core values, and a 2030 vision for this organization. And it's really a a, truly a realignment of Grayston. The new mission statement is centered on um, leashing the power of human potential through inclusive employment, one person at a time. And our core values are around everything that you see in how we do our workforce development trainings, how we do the, uh, the open hiring model, transformation, collaboration, respect, compassion. Mm-hmm. All of those uh, themes speak to our core values. But the vision going forward is focused on three things. One, as the bakery does and as we want other businesses to do, we want business to be a force for good and we want to be a noted champion of that, uh, which is why we're a part of Conscious Capitalism and you know, a social venture network and you know, American Sustainability Council, those areas. Secondly, you know, we want to be the noted innovator in the field of workforce development and innovative employment practices, leading, of course, with our open hiring model, but encouraging companies to do some variations thereof. And then third is making that impact into those 10 million folks who are on the side lines with barriers looking for employment Mm -hmm. and again by 2030 if we can just get 40,000 or so jobs through 
more inclusive hiring practices. It's a $3 billion impact for this country. That's where we want to focus now. That's our core, seeing the model replicated, getting people trained and employed, and having a huge impact on our economy, all by using business as a force for good. So you can make a profit and you can do well at the same time. Does the foundation work or interact directly with the community or it just works through Greyston Bakery and Greyston Bakery brings this disruptive hiring practice to the community? Yeah, so the bakery, we like to call it our incubator uh, for inclusive employment. So that's where you see the business model in play. And I do believe that open hiring is a business model. You see that in play. And it's, we don't say it's perfect, it's perfecting. We're constantly looking at ways to bring in training and supporting our employees in an even greater way. So that's the incubator. The foundation houses what we call the Grayston Opportunity Center, which is what I talked about before. And that is the one-stop shop for the community um, as a whole, whether you're an employer looking for good talent, we will train them, we will develop them, and we will place them in your organization. Mm-hmm. Or if you're an employee or future employee looking to be trained, we have those services here with through our career specialists. Or if you're an employer looking to rethink your hiring practices and learn how to either do what we're doing or some variation thereof, we want to work with you to rethink your practices and do open hiring and uh, or inclusive employment in some form. So that is the, the goal and the mission for the foundation and the organization as a whole. You do help at-risk youth, right? Yes, we do. We actually, that's one of the divisions within the Employment Opportunity Center focusing on how we call opportunity youth, um, that's 16 to 24 cohort. But and it's providing the same types of services, whether looking for training and all of our trainings in with a nationally recognized certification in some field, mm-hmm. particularly in fields that are emerging in this area and that are growing and also have a career path because we want to have folks get a livable, sustainable, I used to say livable wage, but the new term I learned is family wage so that you can support support yourself and your family. Uh, So we work with our employer partners uh, in the county to place our folks. How would you define an opportunity youth? Most likely they're a person of color, uh, so black or Hispanic. Some, many cases, some have dropped out of school. So we want to work with them either to get their GED or if they have graduated from high school, get them employed and get them trained in a field. And a lot of times it's, you know, and and I'm probably expanding the definitions, but they don't have the social capital Mm -hmm. that maybe you had or I had in terms of people talking to them about work and career and um, education, Mm -hmm. how to interview, how to deal with a a problem colleague or dealing with your boss, all of these things, uh, they might lack that social capital and training. We want to give that to them through our Employment Opportunity Center. Coming back to Greystone Bakery, Mm -hmm. you don't do background checks. The person walks through the door. What about your commercial liability insurance? I love the insurance question because we get that a lot. I thought I was innovative when I'm asking you these questions. Come on. We get that a lot since I first started. I love answering that question. I tell people all the time we have insurance like every other manufacturer and we pay a, a rate like every other manufacturer. The idea is that, you know, somehow this is a place of chaos because you're hiring, quote unquote, those people. But uh, it's a manufacturing operation like any other manufacturing operation. We deal with the issues that any other manufacturer deals with. We just happen to have a radically different way of hiring people. But we do have insurance. (laughs) 
But is your insurance higher than? It's the rate of any other manufacturer. So it's, it's an industry rate. I mean, again, we don't have, you have workers' cop issues just like a manufacturer would have workers' cop issues. You have, you know, maybe a slip and fall here and there, but, you know, there's nothing out of the ordinary or any outlier in terms of um, our insurance. As you mentioned, the high real estate values, the high real estate prices are pushing and causing gentrification rapidly. Yeah, yeah. That's a space that you really need to be there. You need to give these people a livable wage, a family wage, to continue to live in the neighborhoods that they grew up in, to preserve the neighborhood culture. Yeah. How are you doing that? This is what I'm really proud of. And again, it's kudos to the team that's really making all of this happen. We looked at our compensation, particularly of the the bakers uh, last year, and compared it to an MIT livable wage study that was done. And we are actually, for New York State, paying 15 to 16% above that livable wage. That is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's huge for many reasons. Again, think of who we've hired and what their stories are. And, you know, now they're making you know, I, I would say is substantial compared to what they were making before. Uh, but the trajectory of their future is just, it's enormous. Uh, now they're able to provide for themselves, they're able to provide for their families. And they're also, if they so choose, move on to bigger and better things within this economy here in, in Westchester County. But um, to be paying 15, 16% above, you know, this livable wage study for New York State, we're very proud of that. And continuing to be profitable. And continuing to be profitable, continuing to deliver excellent products for our number one customer and continuing to have an impact in the community. How can your model be replicated? Are you willing to work with regional partners, maybe go to Chicago or Philadelphia? Perfect segue. And that's what the Graceton Employment Opportunity Center is all about. I mentioned the Body Shop, which is one partner that we worked with, Giant Eagle, another Rhino Foods, who does the cookie dough for Ben & Jerry's. They're doing uh, open hiring. Uh, but we are establishing two regional hubs uh, in New York City, as well as in, uh, here in Westchester. We have we already have one in Rochester, where we have anchor employers working with you know nonprofits in their community. And you think of the places I just mentioned, they're all similar you know, socioeconomic demographics. But we want to have anchor employers practicing open hiring or inclusive employment in some form, working with nonprofits to provide the wraparound supports to the workers in those areas. And we want to see the model replicated. We want to work with companies. So if there are companies, and I always try to give a shout out to Amazon. If they're listening, Amazon, we want to work with you. Mm -hmm. So let's just try it at one location. But we want to work with employers to do some form of inclusive employment. And again, does not have to be exactly like the bakery. You can just focus on one population if that's what you feel or think about removing some barriers uh, that are keeping people out, whether it's the college degree requirement or whether it is the background checks. But having a great mind shift in terms of how you bring folks into your organization, that's what we're looking for. How can other people reach out to you? How can individuals, companies 
use your strategy and reach out to you and be part of the solution. Absolutely. I would love for folks to go to graceton.org and sign up for our newsletter for one, but uh, you can also learn how you can donate to support the Grayston Employment Opportunity Center. It's formerly called the Center for Open Hiring, but also you can buy the delicious brownies as well and support us that way. But uh, we want to first connect with you and uh, learn more about what you're interested in and how we can support you in your inclusive hiring efforts. On that uplifting note, thank you so much, Joe Krenner, for coming on Mindful Businesses. Thank you. You're listening to Mindful Businesses with Vedya Ayer. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us. To learn more about this and our other episodes, check out our website, mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two on this episode, share it with one friend. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.